This is Commerce Code, a Friday morning digital commerce podcast for leaders in retail, technology, banking, payments, financial data, and cutting edge marketing. I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance. We'll start with this week's news in digital commerce. Fintech stocks are currently valued at levels last seen in the summer of 2018. This week, the index global fintech thematic index was 6% down from last week, leaving it 37% down from January 1st and 53% off its all-time high. Bitcoin remained volatile, but bounced back up at times this week, trading high at $24,210. The cryptocurrency is still about 60% off of its November 2021 high. Retail stocks were steady from last week, still about a third off their high marks in November, while financial sector stocks were up slightly from last week by the close of trading on Thursday. The median price of an existing home was $416,000 in June, according to the National Association of Realtors. This is a 13.4% rise since January 1st and the highest median price since records began in 1999. Canada's Consumer Price Index rose 8.1% year-over-year to June, up from 7.7% in May. The increase was mostly the result of gasoline prices, which were 54% higher than one year prior. In travel, American airports served 45 million passengers in the first three weeks of July. That's 11% more than in the same period last year, but 12% fewer than in the same period in 2019. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by VantageScore. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use VantageScore to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. On Thursday, the Digital Commerce Alliance released its 2022 list of the top women in digital commerce. This honor identifies outstanding women in leadership positions at card linking, banking, financial data, mobile wallet, digital advertising, fintech, payments, and merchant organizations from around the world. Check out Top Women in Digital Commerce at www.digcomall.org. In this edition of Commerce Code, The Economy and the Consumer, a conversation with Tim Lee of Full Stack Economics. As reported this week by Payments.com, 31% of restaurants now do half or more of their business digitally. The study, conducted in collaboration with Paytronics, confirmed that the restaurant sector digitized faster than any other in 2020 and 2021, turning to QR codes for virtual menus and contactless payments, among other moves, to allay patrons' potential concerns about the pandemic. Since late 2021, however, the trend has slowed as some restaurants pull back from digital investments. This week, the UK government introduced a bill to include stablecoins and other crypto assets as part of the UK payment system. The proposed law would regulate and, the government hopes, add legitimacy to crypto and non-crypto digital currencies. 
If the bill becomes law, the Bank of England would supervise these types of digital assets. In other crypto news, this week, trading platform Crypto.com launched an in-app purchase feature on Google Pay. The new feature allows Google Pay users to buy more than 250 coins in the Crypto.com app. The European Central Bank raised interest rates by half a percentage point, bringing the key interest rate to zero after eight years of negative interest rates. The move comes amid skyrocketing inflation and slowing economic growth. The threat of recession resulting from the war in Ukraine and constraints on Russian energy makes the ECB's decision to increase interest rates a particularly difficult one. Today on the show, we will explore consumer behavior in the current volatile economy by speaking with Tim Lee of Full Stack Economics. Full Stack Economics is an independent publication based in Washington, D.C. Tim, thank you so much for joining us here on Commerce Code. Pleasure to have you and looking forward to this conversation. Today, uh, where are you joining us from? I'm here in Washington, D.C. Full Stack Economics is an independent newsletter, and I just do it out of my office here at home most days. You are right there at the epicenter of some things these days and some decisions that affect the economy. So uh, I guess it's a good place to be. Let me just start right there, which is, you know, the economy. Everybody who listens to this podcast will be acutely aware that it's in a way hot. The economy is active. On the other hand, consumer sentiment, not so good. Inflation, a little crazy compared to the last few decades. And so my question to start with is just from what you can tell, is there evidence that people have put the brakes on their spending already? Or do you think that's something that's going to happen soon or later? Yeah, I think you're starting to see evidence of a spending slowdown. The most recent data from May that the Bureau of Economics Analysis put out showed a slight decrease in spending across the economy as a whole by consumers. And so I think consumers, after a year of very rapidly increasing spending in late 2021 and early 2022, I think they're starting to get worried about possible recession and, and starting to tap the brakes. It's almost like there's a bit of a lag, maybe. You know, the, the anecdotal experience that I and I'm sure some other people have had is if you go to an airport these days or you travel it, it feels like demand is still high, but maybe that's partially because people booked their plans or they paid their, bought their tickets before, or maybe it's just because other constraints make it feel like demand is still high in travel. Is, what, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's, it's both of those things. I mean, I think there was some pent-up demand. A lot of people missed vacations in 2020, some people in 2021. And so travel in particular, I think, is still pretty hot. But then, yeah, I think the economy is kind of on a knife edge because on the one hand, people still have a lot of money in their bank accounts and most people have jobs. And so there's a lot of people who can spend, but then the Fed, and that contributed to the inflation we've had, which has caused the Fed to raise interest rates. And I think the Fed has done that aggressively enough that people are now starting to worry about a recession. And so I think people are very uncertain. And there's this kind of self self-perpetuating aspect to a recession, right? Where if people start to worry, they start to cut back in spending, which means then businesses aren't doing well and you get layoffs. And so you get that kind of downward spiral. And right now we're kind of possibly right at the beginning of that process where people are starting to worry, starting to cut back. And it's kind of an open question how far that goes. I think the typical person in, in Digital Commerce Alliance just professionally is thinking you know, about all these things, I, I suppose, but most focused on the consumer and, you know, kind of trying to read the tea leaves. There's no way to know any of this in the future, but we can at least know what's happened recently. And I, I one of the things that got me onto the full stack economics and was just reading what I thought was some excellent stuff you guys had written about 
different data-driven assessments of how people have behaved. And so I, I'd love to get your sense of you know, what are some of the spending categories where it seems like people have backed off or maybe just changed their spending behavior, you know, from what you can tell. The big changes we've seen are the changes around the pandemic. So when 2020 hit, initially, like most categories of spending, except kind of basics like food, fell. But then pretty quickly, you saw durable goods come back very, very strong. And they're now way above pre-2020 levels. And I think you're starting to see signs of that softening, but that's still way above kind of historic levels. And then on the flip side, you had services, which crashed in 2020 and have had a very soft recovery for kind of obvious reasons, right? People are still worried about COVID and the labor markets are very tight. So there's not necessarily the capacity to increase. So I think those are the two kind of biggest categories is when people were locked in their homes, they wanted more furniture, they wanted more exercise bikes and stuff like that. And so they bought a lot of that stuff, whereas they stopped going out to restaurants and stuff as much as they had in the past. The services have started to recover, but are still below the pre-2020 trend line. Some of this sometimes seems like maybe it's just so simple, right? It's just humans being humans. You know, I look at it because I've done it. You look around your house more than you usually would have in 2020 because there you were, you know, all the time. And so you said, oh, you know, I should get all the things that you didn't get around to before you started spending money on it. I think that's pretty obviously what happened. And I guess as we think about the way forward, can it be maybe as simple as looking at, well, where have consumers spent more than we would have expected in the last six months? and say, well, they'll probably revert to the mean. I mean, is there some of that where it's, if it went up, it's probably going to just come back down? I, th I think that's an open question. So one of the really interesting things about durable goods is that after the 2008 recession, there was a pretty big drop and you would have expected a reversion to the mean as the economy recovered, but that never really happened. You had kind of a permanent reduction to a lower level from 2010 to basically 2020. And then you had kind of a jump back up to the kind of pre-2008 level, you know, adjusted for, for population and so forth, but like the trend line. And so it's definitely possible. I mean, it's, it certainly makes logical sense that, you know, if you just bought a refrigerator and a washer and dryer, like you're not going to do that again, probably for five or 10 years. And so um, I would expect some softening in terms of services, some of the changes in people's behavior, like the shift to remote work might be permanent, in which case certain kinds of services, like if you used to like go out for lunch at your workplace, maybe that that will reduce. So I would expect some of the, the categories to go back, but I, I think we are now far enough out from the pandemic. I wouldn't be confident that any of the categories would kind of go back more towards the 2020. I think most of that recovery has already happened in, in a lot of categories. I got to confess ignorance to the thing that you just mentioned, which is that durable goods dropped and stayed lower than whatever the background rate was for a decade? Was that because there was just a spurt of buying that took place before that? And so therefore, well, they're durable. And so that was it. Or was it just a change in consumer psychology or what? Yeah, I mean, I think that the 2010s recovery was a slow recovery. And I think people buy durable goods when they really feel flush, when they get a big raise or they have a lot of savings or, you know, at least they're confident they're not going to get laid off in the future. And there were several years from 2010 to 2015 or so when people weren't getting big raises, they didn't feel confident in their job. We had kind of an almost recession in 2015, 2016 when the Fed started raising interest rates. And so I think that whole decade was a decade of belt tightening and anxiety that led to people not spending on undurable goods as much as they had. The word I haven't said yet in this conversation is inflation, which is obviously a dominant issue right now, just not just among you know people who follow the economy, right? Just like everybody. And so I wonder, you know, there's a whole conversation that, are, that is very interesting, but that we're not going to chase right now about you know what's the relationship between you know, Fed decisions and inflation and, and inducing recession and all of that. And that's 
super important. I think, again, for executives that are just kind of making decisions about how to run their organizations, the consumer response to inflation is so important. And as I've pointed out in some prior podcast episodes, it's been a really long time since consumers were, at least in the United States, were faced with significant inflation. So we don't necessarily have good information about you know what they're going to do. So with all of that as a background, from the best you can tell, since we've had inflation going for you know a while now, what are the sort of product or maybe just spending categories that seem to be most affected by inflation? And are there any that aren't affected by inflation that much? Something you saw last year, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, is the inflation transitory? Is it driven by specific supply chain shocks? And so there were a few categories early in the inflationary period, early to mid-2021, especially cars, which you had a chip shortage where you just had clear supply bottlenecks. And so people would say, well, if you strip out, you know, gasoline and cars, then the inflation is not really high. And the thing is that that list kept growing. There kept being more things that were affected by inflation. And at this point, it's pretty broad-based. I mean, if you look at the most recent releases, pretty much every category, even things like clothing that tend to fall in value and price over time, those are going up more than usual. Rent is somewhat of a lagging indicator, and rents are now rising pretty rapidly. So it's pretty broad-based. Yeah, you know, on the you mentioned gasoline and you know other categories of things and et cetera. And of course, gas and energy generally are such a huge part of this. And then it gets very complicated. It becomes geopolitical and it has to do with the war and everything. But I've always felt that the price of gas has a bigger psychological effect on people than it has an economic effect in terms of the cost of putting it in their tank. But the significance of it is obviously psychological to some extent because there's signs everywhere. It's the only product that we have in our culture where you have signs literally everywhere that show absolutely everybody, even if they're not buying gas that day, how much it costs. But then the other piece of it is that the price of energy generally, and to some extent gas, works its way through into just about every other product. I mean, every other product has that as an input. Is that a bigger impact on inflation? Is just that the price of energy just works its way through into everything else. And so eventually all that other stuff gets more expensive. Yes, everything you just said, I think is correct. Like you said, it's the most visible price. So it's the thing consumers focus on. But also just mathematically, it's not a huge fraction of people's budget, but it moves around so much more. Nothing else moves as much as gas does. And so even though gas is only a single digit percentage of the economy, you know, when you have a 40% increase in the gas, that is a big contributor to the overall gas price. And there's a historical pattern where big jumps in gas price often precedes recessions. It's hard to do kind of controlled experiments in economics. So it's hard to know if that, how causal that is, or if that means there definitely will be a recession, but it's definitely a source of macroeconomic challenge, largely because it's not something that policymakers have much control over. If you have an invasion of Ukraine or Saudi Arabia cuts back production or something like that, that can lead to a, a large increase in the measured inflation rate. And that's like real inflation that affects consumers. But it's not something necessarily that's like the fault of U.S. policymakers or that the U.S. policymakers can do all that much about in the short term. And so it puts them in kind of bad situation. It may well be that you don't love to do prognostication, Tim, but this is a, hopefully a modest um, prognostication request, which is I think it feels to a lot of people like maybe inflation as measured in some ways might have peaked. Is it reasonable to think that it might have peaked and that it's kind of going to start to go down? Or is it is it more reasonable to say, we don't know, it could be 9% for a long time? The main thing I will say is the experts for a year have been saying it seems like it's close to peaking. It has not peaked so far. 9.1, I think, was up from 8.9 last time. And so I could see it continuing to going up. I could see it coming back down. One thing that has been driving the inflation is that the way rent is measured, um, they measure what you actually pay. You know, most people are on year-long leases. And so if you get a year-long lease, your rent is the same for a year, and then it updates. And what that means is that 
you can kind of get a sense for what the rents are going to be the next few months based on what the spot rent is, because if the rate on a new lease goes up, it takes a year for everybody's rent update. So then the other big category is like we were talking about gasoline. If gas prices come back down, if the kind of Ukraine crisis were to wind down, then you could see a pretty rapid decline in inflation. But on the other hand, if things go in the other direction and you know people are talking about further restricting Russian exports and who knows what else could happen, it could get much worse. So yeah, I, I'm, I really have no idea which way inflation is going to go in the next you know, six or 12 months. You've spent a lot more time looking at the details and thinking about this stuff than certainly me, but I'm guessing almost anybody who's listening to this either. And so the fact that you don't know is in itself a useful input. Well, Tim, I want to thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation and we're grateful for your insight. I, I know the rigor and the detail of the work that you do and I'm thankful for your time and having this conversation with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Coming right up, closing thoughts on spending money. Tim and I were talking about why people spend money. And that conversation was based on the kind of data Tim works with all the time. That's always the best place to start. But the data can only tell you the past. And at any given time, what matters is the future. What will consumers want to do next? That matters not only to us. It matters not only to people in industry. It matters to people in Washington, D.C., policymakers, folks who care about inflation, monetary policy, and, and all the rest. Well, I did a personality inventory that said that I like to understand the present with reference to the past. Setting aside the horoscopy nature of these things, I will say that that is basically accurate. I think past is prologue. I think history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So I think it's worth thinking critically about why we have spent money in the past. As we're sitting at what feels like an uneasy pivot point in the economy, with apologies, I'd like us to recall the unpleasantness of 2020. I'm going to give you a list of the stuff that people bought a lot more of in 2020. This is backward looking and data driven. And as you listen to the list, I'll say, think to yourself, was that rational or emotional? So does it make sense that we or maybe I spent more money than usual on that thing? Here's the list from roughly bottom to top. Things that we spent a little bit more on, things we spent a lot more on. Webcams, desks and office chairs, laptop, computers, monitors, printers. Okay, that little bundle there makes sense. Loungewear. No, all right, we're all at home, fine. Hair dye. I have no idea about that. I'm not even going to speculate. Sewing machines, fitness equipment, yeast for baking, bakeware. All right, people were being productive, learning new things, getting in shape. Great. Nintendo Switches, you know, video games. Okay, makes sense. Puzzles, board games. Great. Bidets. You know, like the things that you attach to your toilet. Okay, we're going to get back to that later. Water filters, tissues, thermometers, diapers, hand soap, paper towels, cleaning wipes and spray, hand sanitizer. And then the one that you knew that was coming that I haven't said yet. And it was, by some measures, the item we spent the most more on, if that makes sense, toilet paper. Okay, so that connects to both the diapers and the bidets. And it doesn't make rational sense. Not to me, possibly not to anybody. I've read about it a fair bit more than I maybe should have today because it's an important question, even though it's a stupid thing that people all did in 2020. So here's the thing. There's a maxim in sales 
that every buying decision is emotional at the end of the day. And I think that's true. But really, it's just saying that every buying decision is both rational and emotional. Every major M&A transaction is also significantly emotional. You might, for example, decide to buy Twitter and then realize that that decision was, you know, not totally rational. Back to toilet paper. You only have a run on the toilet paper bank if a significant critical mass of people really did want to buy an insane amount of toilet paper. Why? Many psychologists have published articles in the intervening years on why, and let me just say that that's an opportunity for the Freudians to have a field day, and I won't get into that, but the gist seems to be that toilet paper somehow made us feel secure at a very basic, or you could say primal, level. So now, here we are in the middle of 2022. Things are weird, and getting, I think, weirder. People feel uneasy. Maybe not acutely uneasy, but that could change, and I think it well might. So when the next disruption happens, what's the kind of buying behavior, whether it's healthy or sensible or not, that we're going to use to make us feel more secure, maybe at a primal level, in 2023? Commerce Code is a weekly podcast of the Digital Commerce Alliance, the premier trade association advancing the future of commerce. Check out our website at digcomall.org. Help us grow Commerce Code by sharing it with your colleagues and old friends from business school and rate Commerce Code on your podcast app. We'd love your feedback and topic ideas. Just drop Dan Carell an email. You can reach him at dan at digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great Friday and a great weekend.